Hello. Hello. You're listening to Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where we take a great pop music album and break it down track by track. And Will, I can see you outside and you're not alone because on the turntable this week, we've got two by Dubstar and we're going to be joined by actual Dubstar. Oh my God. If my 16 year old self could see me now sat here with you, he'd be thinking, who's that weird man with the scrabbly beard? (laughs) (laughs) Where did it all go wrong? But if he could see you with Sarah and Chris from Dubstar, that'd be a wow moment. It would be a wow moment. Uh, I can't, you know, one of the one of the delights of this podcast, as well as getting to talk to you more often than I would do. Oh, not would have liked. <laughs> is the fact that we've had an opportunity to talk to some of our favourite artists and more still to come. And I have to say, they were absolutely lovely. They were absolutely lovely. So yes, two, their brand new studio album is out today. If you are a patron listening on release day, uh, but it is out now if you are listening at time of recording when this episode has gone out for all as well. And it's Dubstar's fifth studio album. What an incredible album it is. Yeah, we aren't just saying this because we uh, have spoken to them and the record company are paying us money. They're not. They're not. <laughs> uh, and they don't have one because they're doing it all themselves. Yeah. Uh, but this is a great new album. And hopefully, if you're coming to this episode, you will have listened to the album already or have it on your turntable ready to put the needle on it put the needle on it (laughs) also it's quite clear we're not just saying it for the sake of it because there have been four singles released from this album so far and i think we've spoken about every single one on a new music drop episode Mm. uh, often with an intro from sarah yeah and we also uh were gushing about their pet shop boys cover as well way back when we did behavior yeah as well a hundredth episode yeah So shall we hand over to ourselves uh, and have a lovely chat with Sarah and Chris? Let's do it. So thank you for joining us on Track by Track. Uh, Welcome along Uh, and welcome back. How does it feel to be uh, releasing a new album uh, and have new songs out there for the first time? Uh, in a while. Well, it's longer than we expected. It's, it's just a relief that we're getting close to, you know, this actual, uh, this album's project being finished. It feels like it started an awful long time ago and it, it shouldn't have taken this long really, you know, but this weird thing happened in 2020. And, um, <laughs> and it, it, you know, we had the manufacturing crisis and everything got kicked down the road. Remote production is really a science of its own. And uh, it's just great that actually that it's finally coming out. And this episode is going live to our patrons on album release day and a couple of days later for the rest of our listeners. So people have now had a chance to to get used to the album. As you said, for you, it's been, well, a couple of years uh, in the works, maybe just more than that. But of course, we had one, didn't we, just a while ago as well. So does this feel like a, a continuation of that sound and of, of this well, era of dubstep? A little bit. I think we were so sort of excited when we were doing one that by the time it was finished we didn't want to stop so we actually had quite a fruitful period right after that um in actual fact i think there's at least one track or maybe two on the album which comes from that it was right on the on the heels of one yeah lighthouse was 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 yeah. the first sort of one that we went oh that's for the next album oh yes yeah we, we carried on after one and that was the first one that went, oh, that's got legs. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and that was all going re- really well. We found we were dying to get on with recording the, the follow-up to one. 
Um, and then Sarah and I met over Christmas in 2019 because we were going to go and see Youth, who produced one. Um, and it was weird because like we we had some demos we'd made and we wanted to play them to him. And he was like, you know, this this stuff's great and everything. You should know that I'm hoping to spend so, quite a while in Spain next year because um, he has a place in Spain. And I was like, you know, okay, we'll try to we'll try to make it work. But sure enough, he, he ended up spending a hell of a lot of time in Spain because he was there when the pandemic he got stuck, didn't he? So, yeah. But at that point, we were already sort of overdue in our minds, weren't we? So it's like mm -hmm. we felt like we were already about a year later in getting started on proper production recordings than we'd intended to be. So I'd I'd been talking to Stephen Haig just sort of in exact you know exasperation really, and um, youth appeared to be out of the picture at that point, and we just decided to um, have a crack at the. I mean, and originally I was going to go down there and see him, and I had the train booked and everything. Um, but suddenly tra traveling was off limits and we thought let's do the remote recording experience which luckily we Sarah and I had quite a bit of experience of doing because with living hundreds of miles apart we've often you know recorded together for demos in that way anyway you know it's, yeah, otherwise we've, done it gets, it, we've done it for years we've yeah we've, we've been doing it since like 2015 or something like that maybe then, usually on a Friday the demos like pop into my inbox and it's like oh what's he got for me this what's he been doing this week so it's, it's been really <laughs> lovely <laughs> and, and thank thank you because you preempted what's probably the classic question that anyone gets asked in an interview uh, at the moment is how did you film record um during during lockdown but it sounds it sounds like you were you were fine with it you got into a good groove yeah and yeah. it was just something that that you you were very it used really to. It really wasn't hard because I mean it, it was a similar experience to when we'd done one, except that in when we did one, for instance, doing the vocals, especially and some of the guitars, we wanted to all be in the room together so you can kind of be vibing off each other a bit. But but to, to be honest, all the way through, Sarah and I both have like you know work with Logic Audio at home. So if I'm doing anything on Logic at home, I can ping it over to Sarah and she can do some vocals and ping them back and we can have a, a fill around like that. And, and it was just it was just a case of bringing Stephen Higgin as a third leg of the, that table. And uh, it, it meant that everything takes so much longer to do. I mean, it really, things that you would take care of in an afternoon can often take up to a week, literally. Yeah, um, it, it was a pipeline rather than a bubble. If we'd have been in the, in the same room, it mm, would have, you know, yeah. easily solvable in, in an afternoon, but it took weeks. So. Yeah, and the height of the recording period for this album really was over 2020 itself. Um, and to be honest, it's like, you know, I had the kids at home to be in school at home and wife was working at home. And I was I was finding it very hard to do anything during the day. Fortunately, Stephen Higgs a real night owl, so he would bless him stay up till like three a.m. with me, you know, bouncing things on the internet amongst ourselves, and then I would end up crashing like three or four a.m. and uh, and get up and start cooking for people and stuff. So it, it was it, it, things took a really long time, but it, it was such a welcome diversion from what was going on. In the real world, at that point, you know, it was really great to have a project that around about then. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, COVID and everything that happened over the last two years plays quite a big part in a lot of the uh, subject matter and some of these songs on this album. So, without further ado, let's get stuck in. Let's go track by track through the album, and we're kicking off with side one, track one, which is Token.
So that token there, I think what I love about this song, and it's something that we actually premiered on one of our new Music Drop episodes, the piano intro to this really does feel like something theatrical almost. It really is a proper introduction to a song, to an album, to a project. Was it always quite obvious that this had to be the opener for the album? Well, it, it was It was very obvious that it had to be the beginning of that song, because um, the funny thing is, um, and this is why Stephen Hay has a, a writing credit on that one, mainly he, he, he'd been, I was in a state of anxiety and having trouble writing new stuff at that point. And he was sending me little, little vignettes, like little audio mini productions of just moods. And that was one of them, because he was just trying to get me started on writing new songs. And that piano part, was it was kind of it wasn't isolated like that I don't think it was just like part of something else but I kind of leapt on that because the moment that I heard it I started thinking of what would come after it and even though I sort of go off and start changing key and go everywhere else you know it sort of inspired me that that it seemed very grand like you're saying it seemed to be heralding something and and it really it, it kind of put me in mind it, it the drama of it it really reminded me of some of the conversations that Sarah and, and myself had been having because we'd been on the phone quite a lot, but not actually together, there was a kind of inclination to talk about the past. And we would, we found, you know, we have a lot of shared history and we've overcome a lot of adversity together. And I sort of, usually when I'm trying to write a new song, it's about clearing your mind and letting ideas in rather than go reaching for them. But the one thing I always have to have in mind is Sarah herself, because she's kind of the channel which is going to be transmitting. And I think, so I came up with this chorus because it felt like something that Sarah would be able to infuse with meaning. And then after that, we kind of had to reverse engineer it back to the verses. So then I sort of kicked it over to Sarah and, and Stephen as well, because he was already had a writing credit by then. So like, why not? <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, cause the verse, I just wanted some help with the verses and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it just, it seemed to be sort of slightly operatic in nature, um, but it, it felt right. And then in terms of the songwriting, so am I right in thinking um, Sarah predominantly lyrics on these tracks? Or is it, is it when you talk about the songwriting, is it the lyrics that's very much shared uh, between yourselves? Yeah, Sarah tends to help. It's usually I sort of like write a song, but I tend to not finish it necessarily until I've got her input because until she doesn't like it, I'm wasting my time finishing it. And usually she'll, yeah. and I always have placeholder lyrics. Um, for the bits where I just haven't really, you know, you sort of stream of consciousness, Joycey and stuff. And then usually she'll, she'll sort of say, ah, well, that's <laughs> really where you, Chris. you know, yeah. That, she'll, <laughs> they always that, make me laugh. And then when I sing them back, <laughs> they always make Chris laugh. So. Yeah, but, but then, but usually it's, that's the point in the process where Sarah will start to propose things. I make it kind of more fit for human consumption. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or, or more like something that is it's just a little bit closer to her heart. Or often she's seen something in it which I haven't seen myself. And then by her putting her bit in, it becomes obvious how we can finish it together, as it were. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I usually initiate the stuff. You know, and, and, and including the words, but, but Sarah needs to have input on lyrics, I think, because if she's going to sing them and sound like she means it, she needs to be part of the process, you know? Uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense, because I think when people think of uh, the Dubstar sound, it is, of course, that incredible, um, the electronics, and, you know, it's difficult to actually put Dubstar in a, in a box, really, isn't it? Because it's kind of indie pop, electro, and all sorts of other influences in there as well. But, of course, as you said, the the voice that we hear at giving back these lyrics quite often 
I think with you, Sarah, people use the word unapologetic in how you deliver those tracks. It's your That's true, nice. your true self and your true accent. And so it makes sense that you would need to tweak that so it kind of flows when you're when you're delivering the story. Yeah, I mean, the, we, we have had some some things over pronunciations and stuff uh, where things just haven't flowed in my own accent. And I've begrudgingly, I think there was one word that Heggie made me say, and I felt it was American. And I'm just like, I don't like that. But it just, it just, I can't remember what word it was and what song it was. So, but yeah, we, we, we did disagree, but because it was so clunky in my accent. So sometimes you do have to like round it off. It's more, it's more not losing your accent, but it's more like you, you round and you meld the words into each other. And with a Yorkshire accent, that can be a bit, a bit difficult. But yeah, but anyway, it, it's probably. I hear, I'm, I'm from South Yorkshire, so I hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to track two now. Uh, I can see you outside. Yeah. All right, you're going to play it, right? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that was I Can See You Outside. And on Track by Track, we love a melancholic banger. And this was immediately stood out to us as as some as one such track. Was it important that you got a mix of of sounds on this album? Some things that are a little bit faster, a little bit more upbeat, and then to slow things right down? Or was it more just as the process went on, this is what happened? Well, well um, to be honest with you, I mean, first of all, when we first... When in 2019, when Sarah and I got together to really get the ball rolling on this album project, I thought that the songs like Tears, which comes later in the album, would be kind of the blueprint for the way this record would turn out. I like the idea of doing things which were more organic, sparser arrangements, where you can really sort of hear the nuances of Sarah's delivery in her performance. And it's not just about bells and whistles and, you know, flailing production. Uh, things like that so but the funny thing is that when the when the lockdowns kicked in and having the kids and my wife at home all the time I found it very hard to um, write largely because I couldn't make noise and um, usually I play guitar a lot when I'm in the house alone for writing but I was having to wear headphones a lot and, and using keyboards more and also there was this weird sort of state of feeling very uh, repressed and um, subjugated by the circumstances where I found myself wanting to, to not that I'd go to a lot of nightclubs these days you know what I mean but I found myself wanting to sort of put my hands in the air and do something a little bit like sort of breaking out of this sort of the bubble that we'd gone into as people at that point in life mm. um the other thing is it was very I was very afraid I mean I, I don't want to sound melodramatic but I you know I was I thought we were all going to die you know and um Sadly, some of us did, you know, and I was terribly frightened thinking about like being separated from my family um, by death, either by myself or somebody or one of them. 
And it was this weird, I was starting to think metaphysically, and it sounds silly, but I was when I was thinking of, I can see where side, it was like on the other side of, you know, the life experience, like, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if it's like an afterlife thing or something, but it was, a, you know, it's, it sounds a bit sort of soppy and silly, but that was kind of where I was coming from subconsciously with that one. And then, the, but the verses is again, it's more Joycey and sort of stream of consciousness stuff going on there where Sarah would have to help me out from time to time. Yeah, there was a lot of flinging of lyrics back and forwards with that one, I, I seem to remember. Yeah. And like Stephen Stephen Higg was like, is it is this kind of political? <laughs> I'm like, no, <laughs> not really. It's more it's more metaphysical, you know. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a bit weird. But it turned out all right, I think. <laughs> and of course there is the remix of the track from Bright Light, Bright Light who oh that's marvelous i love massive fans how did that come about we just asked him we love rod we're like huge fans and he's just such a he's a wonderful guy and so we we just asked him and he he was really excited to do it Um, and it's because he'd been a fan of dubstar in the 90s when he was younger you know and he'd actually got in touch with us like when he was a, a fan like years ago which we remember I DJed for him one night, and do you know what? He made me feel like an absolute superstar. Oh, he's lovely. We were just playing in this like tiny little club in 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 East London. It was this little hipster venue, and as I walked down the stairs, he'd like got all the lyrics all over the walls and stuff, and all his friends were there, and they all meet, greeted me with a big round of applause, and I, I was nearly in tears. It oh. was wonderful. I loved it. I just you know it was. Yeah, and I'll, I'll love him. For, yeah, it was handy with him being in New York as well because it meant that, as usual, I'd be up really late at night and <laughs> I could sort of talk, talk to him about <laughs> things at like two or three a.m. But I, it's when he started sending stuff back, and it was like you could you got all these sort of dead or alive vibes and stuff, and it was just really cool. So in the end, oh, it was just so exciting hearing this like completely different yeah. perspective on it. it, it is, of like, wow! And, and he was saying, yeah. like, "Do you think there's something I should be doing?" I was like, "No, just." <laughs> Just go, go for it. You know, I didn't want to get involved with it, really. You know, it, just, it was too good. Okay, let's move on then to track number three, and this is Tectonic Plates. So Tectonic Plates here, another single that's been released. I love with the album and the uh, and the track listing of the album. We've done the old-fashioned way, which is what we talk about this a lot and something we love, having the singles first. And whether in the order they were released or not, but just having those singles, then moving in to the brand new sound and the album tracks. Um, but specifically with this one, what I really like is how it almost takes the dubstar sound and, and almost breaks it apart and then puts it back together because you've got those wonderful chunky synths at the start and the track kind of bounces. And then a little bit later, the guitar comes in and the kind of drums and it goes a bit funky and then it all comes back together. And I really feel like I'm just seeing Dubstar sound, almost like one of those DNA pictures. I'm seeing it broken apart and put back together again. How I'd love to know how, how this song came together. Well, it's funny you should say that because that kind of was the idea. I mean, what, what you've just described there, um, had been, I'd originally thought of it slightly in those terms. Stephen Haig um, 
just really went for it in that respect. And there was times when, you know, I'll be saying to him, can we really afford to like hold off so far into the tune before you even really start to get, you know, a solid rhythm going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it really sort of holds back a lot, but it means when you get that sort of payload moment, you know, like about two thirds of the way through, it really, it, it really works. But yeah, it was kind of like a deconstructed flan, you know, um, where, where you could really sort of identify what the guitar does and you could identify the synth bit. Um, that, that was kind of the idea and it all it was a silly thing you know at the time I thought it would probably just be like a b-side or you know one of these one-off tracks like that but it, it, it was because my, my, my son had asked me to print some stuff out for his homework about volcanoes and um and, he, and I'd printed out this stuff it was taking up so much so much paper I think god does it really need to be this many reams of paper you know just for to get all this stuff about volcanoes but then i started like <laughs> singing singing the tune as i was doing it because i started <laughs> noticing these words you know about geology and stuff um but you know this is how these things get started and then sarah came up with well, that, it was my a and r moment wasn't it when chris went i don't know what you think about this one it's a bit off the wall really but it's you know what do you think and i was like i blooming well love it <laughs> And then and when she, we were recording, um, I remember Stephen going, you know, when the, when the guitar comes in and Stephen just went, and here's Niall. <laughs> Niall to the party and it just made me laugh so much. That is yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, there's the kind of deliberate, you know, I love chic and stuff like that. So, so that was a little bit deliberate, but, and also Sarah does this really cool thing in the, uh, in the middle eight bit where she, she did a falsetto, Sort of harmony which is so it's really high and it's it's almost too much but it's brilliant you know so you had to like turn it up rather than down you know steven said are we keeping this i went yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the best bit it really felt like a moment where the tracks sort of pull and push at the same time and you get that mm. whoa yeah i really yes yeah, there's, there's a lot of tension in it yeah it's there's there are some moments in this track and a few tracks on the album that feel like very nostalgic callbacks to some of your earlier sounds particularly from like the disgraceful era was it your intention to have that kind of factor in and have some of those sounds and and and, and approaches in from from the earlier albums or did it just naturally come about when you were working and playing around with things so it's a really good question i'd have to say that i think that it's probably an accident um because usually when you go into doing any track you're just trying to do the best thing that you can for, for the song that you've got in your head. And it, I mean, I think there's obviously when Sarah sings anything, it, it, it immediately becomes a, a dub star track. But, but, some, but obviously, you know, I, when I play the guitar and stuff, I tend to do certain things perhaps. And I, there's certain synth approaches that I like. Um, there's certain synth things that I hate. So that I'm bound to sort of steer off in a certain direction. But yeah, it wasn't deliberate to, to try and make like mm. a, a flavour of the 90s uh, stuff or anything like that. Um, but it, I don't mind when that happens. When I notice that's starting to happen, I kind of just go with it. Yeah, but it, it never sounds like uh, it never sounds like a, a copy or, or a want to kind of replicate that. Mm. It just sounds like an obvious influence from your own musical it, it, past. It, and your it, own musical it was album. very important. It was the minute we decided to get stuck into this as like a 24-7 venture again that we didn't want to and I don't want to mention names because it's unkind and a lot of these people are friends, you know, but some of their peers from the 90s, you know, 
really seem to be doing stuff a lot of the time just to justify going on tour and, and making hay and things like that but we if, if we were going to do it i wanted it to be like an artistic project you know it has to be like it's not just an, an excuse to put the band back together and go on the road you know what i mean we, mm, we, we yeah. haven't even been on the road yet it's, it's really about the art um so yeah i'm not i'm not afraid of sounding sort of nostalgic but but that's not something i'm hankering after I don't think you are either, are you, Sarah? Yeah. yeah, but you can't ignore who you are and 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 you know you, what you've done in the past either. So track four now, and this is hygiene street. felt like when hygiene strip was released it definitely felt like that was a welcome diversion for for us and for and for for music lovers out there because it was some new music from dubstar for the first time in in a while but also i think it's it definitely gave everybody a nice moment to enjoy something special something new from from a from a much loved artist how did, how did you feel when when it was out there when you were when you were getting those reactions and that feedback for the first time in a, in a long time and especially when it was during lockdown what what did that feel like i felt it was lovely i just felt like solidarity with people it was just nice to feel like you to quote that deborah curtis book felt like we were all touching from a distance you know it's uh... Mm. Yeah, and it and it felt like a relief to get it out because it was a real push to try to get it out. I, I was determined for it to be by the end of that first summer, and I think it was it was the kids had just gone back to school. It was like early September, I think, wasn't it? Um, mm. By the time we actually put it out there, and obviously we couldn't be in the video together, but we we did the, Sarah filmed herself right for the end, which I thought was a nice touch, and it was lovely to hear people be excited about it. To be honest, I was so focused on trying to make it good that I hadn't really spent that much time wondering how well it would go down. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was a... yeah, and and yeah, and trying to get it out there. Yeah, and it was really weird because when we filmed the video as well, when I, I went into Birmingham, and that was the first time I'd been into the centre of town for months, and it was just bizarre. Well, you can see the trepidation on your face as well. Yeah. It's, it's real, yeah. you know. Yeah, it is real. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, you know, you take your mask off and you're like, is it safe? <laughs> it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Still feels strange looking back on those two years, and obviously we're not completely out of it yet. But no, looking no, back on, on the height of things, yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't almost still doesn't feel real in some ways. Um, and it was such glorious sunshine as well. I mean, what contrast, you know, with like you know, pandemic and the sun was beautiful and. Oh. It's nuts. Yeah. In a way, though, it's kind of, I think some artists um, maybe shied away from referencing it and wanted to create a distraction. Mm -hmm. But in a way, these songs and this album almost feels like documentation of it. So it's it's great to have as, you know, as a Dubstar fan, when I listen back to this album in a few years time, you know, it's it's going to make me remember that. And, and, and that's a great thing. It should be remembered. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. It was done as a, a reaction to the circumstances at the time. But yeah. it wasn't sort of a, a conscious choice to do a pandemic album. But. No, far from it. And it's really, I mean, even the songs that were written bef before then have started to take on some of that flavour a little bit. But um, as much as we didn't really set out to do like a COVID song, 
or, or anything like that. We, we, we just wanted to kind of reflect it rather than sort of show it that much. And, and I, I, I was conscious of how it would age though. I mean, to be honest, I was worried constantly about what it would sound like in a year's time. And of course, and it was impossible to predict what would be happening in a year's time or five years even, you know? So, but you always try to, you always try to do, uh, make songs which are going to have a bit, you know, a decent shelf life if you can help it. Yeah, I think you made the words universal enough. You know, it was about, you know, mm. you, it could be, it doesn't have to have been set in the pandemic. It's just that it happened to be set in the pandemic, but it yeah. was still just a universal theme of seeing the person that you least want to see when you look your worst. And I, yeah, I definitely looked my worst during that. It took a long time to get out of sweatpants and back into jeans. Oh, I'm still in my sweatpants. <laughs> still, got, still got me elasticated waist. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, I was I was getting dressed up to go to the shops because it, it felt such an occasion that I was putting my best clothes on to go to the shops. Yeah, I was started wearing lipstick under my mask. I was like, why am I doing this? But yeah, I did. So let's move on then to track number five. This is Lighthouse. lighthouse there we are now in album track territory which you know is always a great place to be on this podcast we celebrate albums as a whole piece of work the singles the album tracks and everything in between what i like about this is i talked about the piano at the start of token here the strings there's something so almost recognizable about those strings despite being something brand new and also they take you into the rest of the album as well. Did the, did the strings come first? Did they form the basis of this yeah, track? Yeah, they, they did actually, I must admit, the strings. I want, I kind of wanted to hear that string intro. So I, asked, I had that before I even wrote a single line. Yeah. And there's almost something quite, I, I don't want to make a an obvious comparison, but something kind of Beatles, George Martin-esque about them as well. Was that was that an influence that you had when you created? Them? Yeah, yeah, hugely. And then there is there's actually a bit of Phil Spector in there as well. Um, the, the the string part does evoke a little bit of a. I wish I never saw the sunshine. Um, one of his Ronettes tunes. Um, so it, it wasn't like a lift, but I, I wanted to have that kind of a a string part. Um, and it was great because I could talk to Stephen Haig about how best to make that sound exactly the way I had it in my head. Because um, I'd, I'd programmed it all up, but it just wasn't really working out the way I wanted it to. And he, he, he's good like that. Whatever you're trying to reach for, he seems to have a good instinct for identifying it and then nailing it, um, which is what good producers should do. <laughs> you know. Um, mm. So yeah, but it's, it's quite a claustrophobic song. Um, you know, and there's a lot of references in that to kind of drowning and suffocating and things like that which so when when we would do it I mean like I said we wrote that quite a while before the pandemic but of course by the time we were recording it that was on and you know everybody's very conscious of breath and there was a, like a I found myself thinking about breathing a lot especially when you left the house you know you see somebody walking down the street and you'd make a point of like breath. breathing in and holding as you're going past which is bonkers yeah. you know but yeah but um 
But in actual yeah. fact, when I'd had the analogy originally, it was just about like when you, I mean, everybody's had the experience of having a guest in their house, you know, where they feels like they take the oxygen out of the room. And, um, <laughs> and it was, it was about that. Um, it was weird. Um, it's very hard to explain, <laughs> but um, anyway, I just, I, I, could, I knew that Sarah was going to be good on what I had. Um, so then I showed so evocative as well. They're great to sing. The impression, the chair that you sat on, you know, it's like, wow, I love that line. And the glass that you drank from. It's just, just wonderful. Yeah. Just absolutely wonderful to sing. Really, you know, I had pictures in my head when, I mean, I always do anyway, but this was really, it was really strong. I was really in a place when I sang that. And the thing was, you told me the story about the lighthouse keeper as well. You'd had a really bad day when you wrote it and you went for a walk. Will you tell it? It's your story. Yeah, I mean, I'd forgotten about that, but yeah, it's, um, there's, a, there's a pier right outside my house with the lighthouse at the end of it. So I think it was probably always subconsciously in the atmosphere. And um, and I, I had had a horrible day. I wasn't. It, it wasn't as melodramatic as I was going to go and throw myself off the end of the pier or something. But it was one of those things where you found yourself thinking, "I bet some, I bet people have done that," you know. And then I got to the end, and I'd never been inside this lighthouse. But the the, the guy was who takes care of it was there, and it wasn't open to the public. But I got chatting to him, and he just showed me around, and it was brilliant. It was like a, it was like incredible. There was things inside of it which had, had been exactly the same since the Second World War, Amazing. and um, it was such a you know fascinating experience. And also, I went to the very top, and then your perspective on the whole of the village where I, where I live was suddenly. I was like it took me out of it, and I found myself feeling mm. extremely light, and um, and I got on with the day and. It, feeling a lot better about everything. So it was just one of those really serendipitous and lucky things. But it, it did cause me to go home and, and start writing the song. Or if, I, might, I might have yeah. had the strings by then, but I didn't know what it was, what it was about yet, I think. You know? I think with the strings as well, just going back to those, the tendency to make them very bombastic could have been very strong, but because Stephen is such a master of subtlety, he just, he kept them quite restrained, which I think really adds just to the, the sense of sort of claustrophobia in the whole song. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they don't overpower it. They, they definitely make a statement, but they don't overpower it. No, not, not at all. Even, even though they're there and they're making this, yeah, like you say, making a statement and they're, with their, they're so beautiful, but they're just understated as well. He, he just kind of walks that, that, that tightrope of like understatement, but, you know, you still they're still massively important in the in, in the track okay so we're on to track six now and this is blood there very visceral title and a kind of medical theme running through this what was the what was the thought behind this track um i got the idea i'd been to see the gp because I, I don't normally get headaches and i'd had these really stonking headaches and he was concerned that i might be having some kind of subarachnoid hemorrhage which transpires i wasn't but anyway he sent me with this huge pile of paperwork and I, driving wasn't an option 
I was on the metro, the Tainawea metro, with this huge pile of my medical history. And of course, inevitably, I started reading it. You know, it was mainly about mental health stuff and, and that I've had to deal with. And, but, and, and I was kind of reminded that like an auntie of mine had, uh, had actually had a, a hemorrhage like that and, and it disabled her for the rest of her life. So I started getting really worried about it. But I was, I, I was in hospital. They did lots of tests overnight. Um, you know, injecting you with various things and taking things out and threatening you with a lumbar puncture. And then, and then, but they kept shining this light in my eyes every uh, so, so often. And I, after a while, I found it quite sort of irritating. And I said, why is it that you always shine this light right in my eyes when it's dark? And they said that it was because you can, you normally see like little spots of blood starting to appear if, if it transpires that you are having a, a one of these, uh, hemorrhages you know which is a horrible thought but it's it stuck with me um and ended up being the, the first line of the song i think is has that in there as a little visual image um like that so i mean it, and and i did find myself sort of wondering about you know how different people could find themselves in that situation with different circumstances and I, I didn't want it to be too funny but it, it is sort of amusing in, in places and we almost didn't put it on the record because I was I was worried that at the time of a national health crisis international health crisis it might not be cool to have something of that nature on the record it just it might not be appropriate but in the end uh, it was one of Stephen Haig's favorite things like that we did um, yeah. and Sarah was fond of it so I, I had to just put away my reservations <laughs> it must be a great one for you to perform as well sarah because obviously and this will I, I assume this will happen a lot with you and a lot with uh, other bands and where the uh, sometimes the songwriter is not the singer but you're singing chris's story and chris's experience on this that must be quite a fun role to get into almost <laughs> yeah they're good they're very good words to sing actually yeah yeah it's nice it's, it's like it's like manic that that's quite a there's quite a lot of words in it. It's quite a wordy song, and so is blood. But they, they're good words to get to get your gob around. So, <laughs> and when I first when I first heard it, probably and was and that opening line that you spoke about of when they shone the light in your eyes, it was clear, the blood. Yes. And I I, I think I probably thought, oh, it's quite an abstract way. It's, it's you know, it doesn't literally mean what the words are, and it turns out that is exactly what it means. <laughs> No, they would. They wouldn't be that. Crass. <laughs> but we are. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it is that you don't have to read too much into a song. It is exactly what it says. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, we're big on analogies. We we, we like. I like having a bit of, um, you know, good word word play where we're not talking about something too literally. But in that case, yes, it was entirely literal. Um, just because that you know the the imagery is really strong and it doesn't does make you uncomfortable, but I think that it's it's nice to be challenged sometimes in songs like that. Stephen got very carried away as well, and he put a siren in it, didn't he? And he was like, "Do you like the siren?" Like, <laughs> yeah. There's also like the sound of of those machines, like with with the little drip drip uh, yeah, that gets yeah. by the side of the bed yeah. in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually thought you got a bit I, 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 I let it go. It did make me think. Now, when did I last hear an ambulance in a song? And the only one I could think of was when uh, Oxide and Neutrino sampled the casualty theme tune. Uh, but oh. I think this oh, is yes. a much better use. <laughs> yeah, well, well thanks. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten that even happened. <laughs> Blimey, yeah. Blast from the past. That was a choice, <laughs> a choice and a half. 
Let's move on to track number seven then. This is Tears. Tears. Banks are breaching. Flowing fluid that proves you feel. Here come the tears. No one's seeking. You're revealing the pain concealed. So we've got blood. We've got tears. Is there a hidden track on the CD called Sweat? Sweat. No, that's going to be on three. Um, no, there's, there's not. But, but yeah, I, I thought about maybe trying to bring some of the kind of bodily fluids into it though after. I, I did spot that. Um, and I, I like it. It looks good though. When you, when you read it on the back of the record, um, you know, to have those sort of uh, very visceral words. Uh, yeah, but of course, tears. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier, is, is kind of was supposed to be a bit like the blueprint for the record where it was going to be very organic and it would be all about Sarah's little cute nuances and mouth sounds and and then we ended up making really upbeat, high energy Giorgio Moroder <laughs> tracks and stuff instead. <laughs> but but it's probably my favourite song on the album. Um, it, I, think I, I think I might have started writing it about somebody we know and then by the end I realised it was really sort of about me. Um, Perhaps I was feeling a bit sorry for myself, um, but then you, you have to sort of step back a bit and make it a bit more universal. Uh, yeah, like that really. Um, and it was very dry. We, we, we originally recorded it and Sarah was very dry and it sounded almost too close in your ear. Um, but it, we sort of added a bit more ambience later and it starts to feel a bit more like Lana Del Rey. Yeah, I was trying to find the Yorkshire's answer to Lana Del Rey. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I love I love some of the um the some of the sounds in this track where it it literally sounds like teardrops mm. dropping. Yeah. Um and again it's very atmospheric uh rather than just being in the vocals it's actually the teardrop I mean they're highly um amplified but you can almost imagine a tear dropping and You know that sound that, that sound that you're talking about I think it's there's a very old fashioned uh, drum machine on there and it's um i think it was the made by the, the Wurlitzer company that used to do the old jukeboxes i think it's called the sideman because it's meant to be like a you know um it was supposed to be like a, having a company as drummer usually for organ players so it almost sounds clippity cloppity in places but there's a bit of reverb on but um and that was something that stephen suggested Hagee used to um, had briefly worked with Todd Rundgren in Woodstock, and he had one of these things that he'd, he'd used on um, A Dream Lasts Forever or something, one of these old songs he'd done. And it was this really unorthodox and weird sound, but we, but it, it feels very, uh, there's something sentimental about it. If a drum machine can be sentimental, then it, then somehow it is. <laughs> um, and, and so as soon as he brought it up, I was like, yes, you know, that, that really felt right. And maybe it is because it evokes teardrops or something. I hadn't, I hadn't actually thought mm. that. It's very organic sounding, it. isn't it? Yeah. 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 And I think we would definitely agree that drum machines can be mm. sentimental things. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. The right one in the right time. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, definitely for me, this one, and it makes sense because it is the most stripped back track on the album, but it's the one for me where... Uh, Sarah, with your vocal, you can hear every single sound, every single 
part of every single word and it's very almost like mouth. asmr yes very <laughs> noisy mouth <laughs> which is it's I love wonderful that yeah it's very intimate um and uh, you know it's it, it it feels like she's right in your ear and because there's a thing about Sarah's voice that I really like, which is she feels like somebody, I mean, I do know Sarah, of course, but I think she, for a lot of people, she has this familiarity where she feels like a character that you are familiar with. And so as soon as she starts singing, you kind of want to hear what she's got to say. And so if you have a, a song like that, which is very um, uh, personal and intimate, it, it just, it really happens. I mean, I, I find that it's most exciting when she's singing those songs for me. And which is why I got so excited about this track when we started doing the record. Um, yeah. And I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah. Are you blushing? There's plenty more where that came from. Oh. <laughs> okay, track number eight now, Social Proof. So first question, what is social proof? All right. Um, well, I'm, I'm told it's a, a psychological phenomenon. Um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you know, when, when, when humans go into an unfamiliar situation um, and they feel quite anxious and not really sure how to behave, there's a tendency to observe how everybody else is behaving and kind of mimic that. Um, so, and, and for, I mean, it's kind of, it, almost a play on words unintentionally because this is certainly was something which happens in social media for instance you know when people are sort of le trying to learn what their own opinion is on something they often will absorb the opinions of others and, and then end up amplifying that um but in actual fact uh, it came to me um i don't know how, when i came across the expression but it was because i was uh you know, I, I had a kid starting school and I'd, I'd noticed that, well, first of all, I didn't know how to behave. Um, everybody else seemed to be acting like they were the kids on the first day of school, the other parents this is. Um, and they were, there seemed to be this unspoken uh, desire to avoid appearing like a helicopter parent, as it's called, you know, where you're excessively protective or even protective at all, it seemed to me. <laughs> you know, you could have your child could be getting disemboweled at the side of the yard, but you had to sort of chuckle cheerfully and pretend that it wasn't a big deal whilst talking to the parent of the person, you know, you know the kid who was, was you know, gouging your son's <laughs> eyes out or something. You know, anyway, it's not all about that, but that, that, that's, that was one. Thing which sort of got me started right in that and I mean a lot of the other parts are it was actually longer than it is on the records we sort of we ended up cropping a lot out of it just to make it feel a more comfortable fit but there's a lot of little visual vignettes of things which are kind of like that but like I say it's a lot of our stuff is quite James Joyce and it is a bit stream of consciousness and we often go for the way the words sound rather than what they mean as long as as long as it sort of means as long as it feels right, you know, in your heart, it doesn't have to be too perfectly, you know, it doesn't have to describe things exactly as what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. you know, I tend, if it's a choice between what a word means or what it sounds like, I'll usually defer to what it sounds like. Yeah. You know? I think he was 40 when he wrote, wrote Ulysses. I might be wrong. God. I don't know. 
And musically on this track, this is a word that Will will inform me that I overuse this word, but I love how jangly this song is. Definitely feels like a slightly new sound for this album. Oh, it's the jangly, it's the jangly one on the album, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it borders on Americana almost, you know, I can almost hear like Cheryl Crow could probably sing that track or something. It would probably make sense, you know, it'd be fine. Um, But yes, there's a bit of the, I mean, I think I do an impression of Roger McGuinn in the the instrumental break, you know, from the birds and like a Tom Petty sort of thing. But but again, that wasn't a deliberate decision. It wasn't like, oh, we better have a track that's like that. um, In actual fact, it started out sounding quite different. Um, And then it ended up like that. Okay, so track number nine, Kissing to be Unkind. Kissing to be unkind there. One of the things that I love about albums and particularly going into a record shop and picking up a record and flipping it around is song titles. And this was one of the ones on this album for me that I needed to know what this was about. What is Kissing to be unkind? Is it is it to do with uh, kind of the pandemic of some of the tracks have been? Is it like the kiss of death almost or or is it something else? Um, but it's a great track. What What's the inspiration behind this one? Um, well, we wrote it before the pandemic, um, so we can't really blame that on that. But the, yeah, the, uh, it, it was it, just the overarching thing was it's, it's like when um, when a term of endearment or, or an act of kindness is designed as a sort of poison chalice, which is intended to weaken somebody because there's already a, an emotional assault which is locked and loaded and ready to be deployed later. You know, so somebody that you know will be kind or nice or may even give you a cuddle or something like that because but they they, they don't really have your best in, interests at heart um now I, I wasn't referring to a specific incident <laughs> in my life when i when i wrote this i don't it, maybe it was a, a few I, I can't i can't remember it was it, it, i might have even thought of the title before i started writing it because that does happen um and you know i like titles which um make you want to hear this song you know make you want like a bit like you were saying you know um yeah i mean that's right Um, there's a lot of that with morrissey the pet shop boys were good at that you know like as soon as you see a title like a man could get arrested you want to you want to hear what 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 you know (laughs) or um anyway so so yes um and it was a little bit like a, a bedfellow of the social proof song um, it was, there's a lot of things in there which were related to day to day, things that were happening to me at the time, not, not, but, it, it, but it was still had this overarching feeling of, of the potential for betrayal. One of the things I love about Dubstar is that, you know, for me, there are some bands who I love musically and sometimes with the lyrics, I'm like, mm, not quite sure about that one. But with Dubstar, the lyrics, because I, I studied writing at uni, so it's something I look I look out for really in in tracks and songs and uh particularly with you guys and particularly on this album and particularly on this song like the wordplay the rhymes within the rhymes the alliteration like it's it's something that really stands out for me but yeah i suppose is that ever does it ever feel like a bit of a tongue twister sarah because sometimes it does feel very 
very poetic, I suppose. That's the thing, I think. If it's well written, it rolls off the tongue really well. Like I say, Manic's like that as well. And 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 this song, it it it, it was starting on the high note, but once I'd got that over and done with, and I could just smooth into the rest of the melody and the words, and they do roll off the tongue really easily. So yeah, it's really it is really nice to sing once that first note's out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. Are you are you striking this one off any live set list then? Well, when we first started, when, we, when we first started singing it, we, I, I, I was like, I, th I think we, we, we had to do it about six times to find the right key. And in the end, we ended up going back to where it was because I, I liked it that high. And it was just like, I'm never going to sing this live. And then by the time we finished <laughs> doing the demo of it, Chris said, hmm, I think we will be singing this one live. Because <laughs> it was apparent that after, you know, I've just got to practice, you know, <laughs> just got to get it. In the, in, the, of, um, in the old vocal memory. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're already at the last track of the album. This is Perfect Circle. Try to win and suit your needs. Speak out sometimes, but try to win. Perfect circle there. Now this feels like a natural last track for this album, a natural endpoint, uh, and, and almost a close to this chapter of the Dubstar story. Was it intended to be, as such, the last track, the way to go out? No, I mean to be to be honest, I don't think it was intended to be on the album at all. Um, we we oh. yeah, I mean we'd done it um, kind of as an exercise. You know, it's, there's often a point in an album, though, when somebody says, shall we maybe think of doing a, a cover, you know, and usually my answer is no, um, just because I always worry that it gives the impression that that the cupboard is bare, that, you know, you don't have enough songs of your own. But um, Stephen Hague was keen to point out that, you know, no, it's, it's you know, first of all, we, we'd, we'd done Since Swithin's Day on the first album and people normally like that. Um, but also it's just, it's a nice thing to do and, it, and it's a talking point, but we had thought about having one just in the back pocket, as it were, um, just in case, you know, we had some use for it and it wasn't necessarily going to be on the album, but, but, uh, anyway, it, it, I, I wanted to do, um, Roxy Music's, uh, Angel Eyes, not, not, not the version on Manifesto, I wanted to do like the disco one that was a hit in like 1979 and, um, and St Stephen wasn't really up for that for some reason, so I, I might just do it anyway at some point. But um, but um, yeah, because I think at that point, you know, it started to get a bit more disco on this album. But uh, anyway, it, it turns out Stephen himself had, uh, Hagee had, had actually been producer on the first R.E.M. records. And, uh, and Miles Copeland, um, who was the, the boss at IRS Records, had been a fan of a band that Stephen Higg used to be in, like, all those years ago, called the Polar Bears. And so he'd, because he had R.E.M. as his new band, he, he said, he'd asked Stephen if he fancied a shot at producing their first record. And it, it, it hadn't gone terribly well. They got along and everything, but they generally just didn't feel like it was working out. Um, and then, and that, anyway, so Stephen was telling me this story because we spent like so much, so many hours on the phone every day um, when we we're doing the record, 
and uh, and I got to thinking about that that record and, and that there's this song Perfect Circle on it, which always seemed to have this like inscrutable sadness way. Right? I couldn't really tell what it was about, but it just has this really aching mood. And I and I and um and Stephen thought it would be a good idea to try it. And really the litmus test is always whether or not it sounds any good when Sarah's singing it. Does it make sense still? And Sarah sang it and that convinced me that we should yeah we should do have this on the record really because it was just too it was too good she's a really supernatural interpretive singer where she, she can sorry just talk about you like you're not here <laughs> darling it's just, again. Um, <laughs> but like it was you know it just something really happened as soon as she starts singing it and I thought okay you know you, it was you a bit of a studio moment I mean, me and Stephen we live quite close by so he, he, he does ring me from time to time going hey do you fancy swinging by and doing doing a Beck song? I'm like, oh yeah, all right then. So we 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 kind of you know sometimes hang out for the afternoon and sing some covers and stuff, and he feeds me chocolate brownies. But um, <laughs> we so so this one he was like, do you fancy coming and doing this REM song? So I went round and it was just sort of like the end of the day, and I, I just sat on his the steps of his his studio, and I was just sort of last sort of hours of sunlight in the day, just sort of reading through the words. And then he went, shall we? So we went in the studio and just kind of did it. And it was just just a moment, really. But I don't think it was any, ever going to be high on anybody's wish list is to hear Dubstar do no. an R.E.M. song. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, this, we should definitely do this. It just, it was, but it, it made it more interesting that it was an unlikely pairing and that it worked so well. And that made it more attractive. Oh, that was the moment as well where, um, I think I was talking earlier in the podcast about um, a word that I, uh, me and Stephen were, were fighting over, and it was <laughs> Jews, but he says dues, and I was like, uh, and, and because of my Yorkshire accent, I'd say Jews, you pay your Jews, because <laughs> it's Yorkshire, isn't it? And and oh no, it didn't sound right. It just sounded, it really stuck out there like a big clunk in the middle of the song. And Stephen was like, hey, why, why don't we just try dues? I'm like, dues? Seriously? <laughs> and I felt really, but you know, it's like Chris said, you know, you're not, you're not going to lose your integrity over one word just because it, you know, you're just smoothing, yeah. so you're smoothing off the edges. Rather than... you, you do say I Jews, say though, Jews, you, yeah. you won that fight. Sure, <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah, so I can't believe you're still chewing about it, you won. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's real testament to your version, though, and the fact that it's the album closer, because the first time I listened to the album all the way through. To be honest, I wasn't aware of this R.E.M. song, so I thought it was a, a, a Dubstar original to close the album. Uh, so, yeah, it fits perfectly on this collection. Thanks. And as we reach the end of the album now, and the album is now released and it's and it's out there, uh, what's next for you both? Well, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into the next uh, phase of, of things because this record's taken so long to make. I mean, it really has taken longer than pretty much anything we've done for various reasons and adversities. Um, I, I, I found it very hard personally to, to move on from it um, and start to have new ideas for, for new things. So now that the, the line's kind of drawn, it means we can sort of open our minds to what we want to do next. And you know, that obviously we've started doing uh, albums by named by numbers like that. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a three or not, but we can at least start to think about what that might be like if there was. Um, and we would like to be able to do more live things if, if um, 
you know, if, if it feels practical. You know, it's very difficult when you're a self-releasing art, artists such as us. Um, you know, it's a very expensive thing to do. There's considerable insurance involved. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a scary prospect when you don't have the tour support of a massive company like we used to have with AMI underwriting our uh, every <laughs> failure. The idea so, of going up and down the A1 in a white <laughs> transit van does not appeal. But, I, 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 but, but you know what? Yeah. What I'd love to do is like shows in some brutalist buildings around the UK. But I, th I don't know whether that might be making yeah. things a little bit too complicated. It's just we'll probably just end up doing like bog standard places. But it would be nice to do sort of. Well, needless to say, whether it's uh, in a car park, wherever it is, we are we would love to see you guys live and certainly to hear some of these news tracks as well. So we hope in some way it can happen. We'd love that. Um, yeah. Well, thank you both for joining us to go track by track by track through two. Uh, and two is out there now to stream uh, and download uh, in all the usual places. And some lovely vinyl as well, I believe. Is that right? There is, yes. There's, there's some colours as well. There's, there's, there's black, which apparently is like the bee's knees for sound, but there's also clear and white. I am a fan of a, a, a coloured vinyl or yeah. just a, you know, something a bit different. I'm, I'm, it is, you know, like it is really nice, isn't it, to have the choice. Mm. It just seems to be like, yeah, something really special. Well, best of luck with it. We'll be playing it all week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so Thanks much for having, Thanks for having us. Well, we certainly had a giggle with Sarah and Chris from Dubstar. Uh, what a pleasure it was. Uh, personal highlight. Uh, and so many questions I wanted to ask them about everything else that they've done. But um, we had to we had to talk about the album. We had to talk about the brand new album. Although when we went off air, maybe I shouldn't say this, Will, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to get people excited. We did remind them that their second album, Goodbye, turns 25 later this year. So uh, yeah, and I have to say they made some very warm noises mm. about uh, joining us again. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Do let us know if you would like to hear that at all the usual places at Track by Track UK or in the comments on Patreon. And do let us know what you think to this album and this episode as well. And do let us know as well if you've been shown around a lighthouse. Yes. Or admitted to hospital. No, maybe not. Don't tell us about your hospital experiences. Mm, some. Well, send them privately and then we'll share what's what's right. Oh, like that festival. Anonymous. Send them anonymously. Yes. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Or we could even do a new podcast with people's medical histories. It could be called Open Wide and Say Ah. That is actually a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to put that on the uh, episode. Uh, but do enjoy listening to two. And maybe it's reignited your dub star passion. And you're now going to go back and listen to Goodbye, A Disgraceful, and One. Yep. All the dub star. But I will be back soon. We've, we will have more of these coming up through the year as well, as and when new albums come. Some very exciting plans that we can't talk about just yet. No, we cannot. There is, of course, much more to come for all over the rest of the month so until next time I've been kissing to be unkind and I can see you outside I'm still here <laughs> <laughs> let Good me bye. in goodbye goodbye, goodbye.